Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Healthnetics. Do you have nagging aches and pains from your younger, more athletic days? Healthnetics CBD is a premium brand CBD that may help take care of aches and pains, as well as relieve anxiety and sleeplessness. Healthnetics products are all natural, THC-free, made in the USA, and undergo third-party lab testing to ensure quality and purity. All CBD is not the same. Order today with a money-back guarantee at healthnetics.com and use promo code SPORTS for 20% off. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey folks, Dirk Bentley here. If you've seen one of my concerts, you know I'm all about energy. Performing, recording, traveling, being a husband and a father, it's a busy life. And I need to be 100% every day. So when my battery starts running low, I grab a sugar-free, vitamin-packed, five-hour energy shot. It tastes great, and it gets me back to 100% fast. Try it. It could work for your busy life, too. For more information, visit 5hourenergy.com. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. What's better than this? Guys, the dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. I'm Joe Marino of NDT Scouting and FanRike Sports, joined by Kyle Krabs, who's the founder and director of scouting at NDT Scouting, also with FanRike Sports. We are your hosts here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. It's a Monday on the show, and we are here to put a ribbon on week three of the college football season and reflect on it uh, from an NFL Draft Scouting perspective as we uh, we'll do all Mondays for the entire season. And so, and Kyle, welcome back from your trip to Memphis. What's going on, dude? Thank you. First of all, uh, I want to give a hat tip to the Liberty Bowl. Uh, that's a really cool stadium in general. Uh, I think they call it like a Pring- the Pringle or something okay. like that. It, 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 it kind of looks like that, the right? The layout is exactly like a Pringle, and it's really cool because the end zones, both ends of the end zones are very low set, but it's got this smooth, sweeping like structure to it, and it's just it's a really cool look. You can tell it's a, it's a field that or, or a stadium that, that has aged a little bit. It's got some character to it. Um, but it's it's really really nice. It's just my only complaint is that turf got super hot. Like <laughs> I'm down on the field, and I see guys like uh, Anthony Becht, who was one of the guys calling the game, and Rocky Boyman was another guy calling the game for ESPN, and they're walking around in three piece suits, and I'm just I can't imagine. You know, I'm out there in khakis, and the most heat wicking golf polo that I can get away with wearing underneath my kind of like my pullover with my logo on it for NDT and I was dying and I can't imagine those guys standing out there um or even the Memphis Tiger Joe they have a they have a live tiger did you know that Yeah I want to get it that this was the number one thing I wanted to talk about yeah. uh cuz I saw your tweet uh that uh, they brought a live tiger on on the field and I've seen a horse on the field I've seen a ram 
All right, I've seen plenty of bulldogs, but we're, we're talking a jungle cat, Kyle. Yes, there there is there is a jungle cat in the bathroom. No, it's so, <laughs> <laughs> they they brought out this pickup truck out of like the the end zone. Oh, this tunnel, is and the pickup truck has this cage <laughs> on wheels attached to the back, and it's probably I don't know eight feet by six feet. It's not very large. And it's got these steel bars and this clear glass, you know, industrial plastic, whatever you want to call it, that's, you know, encasing just this little box that has this tiger in it. And it's got, you know, things on the top that makes it kind of apparent. It's got air conditioning in there and the whole nine yards. And this thing just is super pissed. Uh, he's, he's pacing back and forth in this box and he's he's not happy uh, and it, i felt bad for him because they the way they wheeled him around they wheel that he does a full victory lap around the stadium and then when they park him they park him right next to where the players come out and they have all these pyrotechnics and these like big flamethrowers that shoot the the flames up in the air when the team runs out on the field and i'm like that cat has to be losing his mind so, uh, stock up for the Memphis Tiger taking it like a champ on game day and, and, and dealing with the pregame festivities and, and watching the entire game from a glass box. Oh, was he, so they kept him on the field? The entire game. I was like, That's there's, I was like there's no way they're going to leave him out here. They're going to wheel him back out. They're going to drive off the field. No, they parked right on the, uh, I think it was the west end zone, and they left him there. I'm no, you know, I'm no expert at uh how to uh take care of a tiger but that seems like hell of a of an experience four hours sitting in a stadium right i, yeah. I mean that's, and, uh, and there were there were probably thirty eight, forty thousand people there i mean it was a wow. very well attended game um and i thought like oh poor thing's probably getting hot too but then i realized he's a jungle cat he lives in the jungle <laughs> so the heat's probably not something he's too concerned about, to be completely honest. You know, anytime you can get a live animal involved in a college football game, I'm, I'm always for it. I'd love to see, you know, the buffalo uh, in Colorado. Oh, yeah, it'd be a fun one to see him come rumbling out. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. I saw it when I was in Virginia last week. There was They, they did the Cavalier guy on a horse, you know, and it was running all over the stadium. So that's cool. I've seen the Florida State horse, you know, when – you know, throwing the spear down. So I want to but, see the Gators get in on this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> bring a Florida Gator out onto the field. Oh man. Well, we'll see right now. I think this Memphis Tigers taking the cake. We'll, we'll have to, uh, you know, keep tabs on this and check in on live animals at, at games throughout the course of the season. Yeah. Stock watch. Um, oh, so I, I guess kind of turning before we get into the games, Joe, I know we, we each watched some entertaining football games this weekend. I think that the most pressing thing that's come out, this came out Sunday afternoon, is Texas offensive tackle Connor Williams, who is one of the uh, premier prospects eligible for the 2018 NFL draft. It's been announced that he's undergoing surgery for a meniscus tear, and I believe MCL and PCL sprains uh, in his knee. Uh no, th- this is really unfortunate. A guy as big as he is who moves as well as he does. Uh, meniscus can be kind of tricky. You know, it's it's something that uh, when Miles Jack got hurt a couple years ago, it was around this time, and he had the surgery, and he ended up missing uh, the entire rest of the season. He wasn't even right for the pre-draft process, and he never ran a, like a 40 time. He did his jumps, but that was it. And uh, it really felt like, for Jack, like his entire rookie season was still just kind of working his way back to 100%. Uh, so this can be a potentially uh, scary or damaging injury for somebody like Connor Williams, especially when you consider he as a bigger guy carrying around an extra 60, 70 pounds in comparison to some of these other guys that have these injuries. Um, this is something we're really going to have to monitor. Yeah, for sure. And, and, yeah, it sounds like he's going to have arthroscopic surgery, so we know the timetable on that for recovery. But, uh, you know, there's no guarantee that this is uh, a player that's going to declare now. I think that cloudies that picture for him being one of the premier offensive tackles available for 2018. And, 
you know, it wouldn't be a surprise to me to see him go back to school, prove he's healthy, and and uh, and be part of the 2019 draft. So when you talk talk about the top of this offensive tackle class, it, this injury and its impact on it, you know, could really shift things because I, I don't think that I, Connor Williams, healthy Connor Williams, playing like I thought he could this year, no reason this guy goes back to, to school. He's going to be a top 15 pick. Now I don't know, and, and so uh, you know, it's one of those premier players, and you know, this certainly shakes things up as much as it can, you know, in, in the middle parts of September uh, when we look at this 2018 class. Right. And, and um, Joe, you mentioned the timetable for a scope. Um, you know, like I said, we've we've seen guys go under the scope and they're back playing two weeks later. We've seen some guys that, that really get laid up with it. So uh, I guess we're still in kind of the information collecting period yeah. now. Yeah. Um I'm hoping this is, you know, rub some dirt on it three weeks later. You run back out there after a couple light weeks of practice. And uh, when that meniscus flips and that, that tear flips up and, and folds and starts getting caught in the knee joint itself is when these things can get really ugly. So here's hoping that, that Connor's uh, meniscus tear is a minor one and we're able to see him back on the field again soon, Joe. You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a concert in the park, and we want our style to be the main attraction. Rock over to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now get up to 50% off jeans from 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Up to 50% off jeans for the family? That's music to my ears. Plus, now you can get in and out of the store in a flash with buy online, pick up in store. It's fun, fast, and free. Styles that take center stage and free pick up in store when I buy online? Old Navy, here we come. High Fashion, Old Navy. About 720 to 729, select styles only. What does your morning sound like? Goodbye, baby. She's finally asleep. Hi, welcome to McDonald's. Can I get a sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles? Mmm. Here's to making your morning routine a little better with a delicious breakfast from McDonald's. Mix and match two of your favorites for just $4. The sausage McMuffin with egg and the sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Yes, sir. So let's get into some of these games that we watched on Saturday. Uh, first one I want to talk about is Oklahoma State, Pittsburgh. Uh, Was this a game this... or a track meet? <laughs> well, you know, Pittsburgh's defense certainly didn't show up. But, uh, yeah, no, for real, uh, Oklahoma State's offense is is, is really good, and, and they're going to be fun throughout the whole season. Obviously, we're waiting to see them play you know, a team like Oklahoma. That's probably about the only good team they play all year. But, uh uh, for this game, I mean, you gotta you gotta hand it to them. There was a lot of space on that Panthers defense, and uh, they took full advantage of it. I mean, and scored touchdowns. I think like on their first seven drives, something ridiculous like that. Uh, Mason Rudolph had had a big statistical performance. There were four 100 yard receivers. Um, so it was a really good day for Oklahoma State. Just want to kind of get into Mason Rudolph's performance a little bit. Uh, this is a game that I did for NDT scouting, so I I had my scouting eye on for it, and and. Um, I guess some of my biggest takeaways from Mason Rudolph's performance was I thought this was one of the better showcases of his pocket manipulation skills. I thought he did a really good job of moving within the pocket, keeping his eyes downfield. He didn't really, uh, uh, you know, he didn't look dead to rights at any point. I thought he really moved well. Uh, the, the concerning flip side of that is there was a couple of instances where, you know, he, he evaded some pressure but he wasn't able to reset his platform and, and he didn't have enough juice on the ball and it fell at the receiver's feet. So that's yeah, something that we've talked about several times here and, and that showed up again. Um, but for the most part, I mean, he was accurate with the football to all levels of the field. There was a ton of space, you know, so it was, <laughs> I mean, it was almost like watching a guy. I mean, I don't mean to be sarcastic, but really it was like throwing the football against air, you know? And, and so it was, it was crisp, crisp in that regard. And so, you know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, difficult, you know, high degree of difficulty throws just because there was so much separation. So uh, I guess on the flip side of that, you got to give him a lot of credit for finding the space, making the throws, uh, but there wasn't a whole lot of resistance, I will say that. Uh, did have an interception on his – actually, his last throw of the game was an interception, and um, looks like he uh, he took for granted probably the spacing on that route, didn't have enough air under the football, and uh, on that route he actually tried to move the safety – came back to the read and, and the safety didn't take the cheese and he, he put, he put the ball there anyways. And it, the route was under couch. So uh good, good game for Mason Rudolph. I mean, I, I guess he's, um, 
he is what he is here and, and, and took, took advantage of, of a really bad Pittsburgh uh, defense. You got to hand it to his receiver, James Washington, another 100-yard performance. It's just like the way that he attacks the football. You know, I get it. He's, he's got a lot of space to work with, but the way that he greets the football, the way he attacks it, the way he, you know, you see him after the after the catch, the way that he competes for yards. I mean, you just really kind of like his skill set and the way that he plays the game. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, another receiver that kind of popped for Oklahoma State was Marcel Aitman. He's a big dude, like six four. There was a rep early in the game where I really appreciated his physicality. You see a bigger guy like that, and you want to see them have active hands and, and be able to break through contact in the contact window and. Uh, I, I really liked how he ran routes with good pace, and he had a big long play where he showed some uh, ability after the catch. So, um, you know, Oklahoma State's offense was a machine. Uh, looking at their defense, Trey Flowers uh, was a player on their defense, a defensive back that I thought played a good game, very active. You see the way he flows the football with uh, with intent. He had a really nice interception staying over top of a route and taking advantage of an overthrow. But one of the players that I really want to get into with you, Kyle, here is Brian O'Neill, this offensive tackle for Pittsburgh. There's some fanfare around this guy. And uh, he plays left tackle for Pitt. I like his posture. I like the way he moves. Um, he moves his feet very easily. He can redirect his weight. But I think that there's some 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 issues that I think maybe we're over. Not we, uh, but some of the, uh, the people that are pumping up Brian O'Neill are overlooking. This guy – is really upright. You know, I don't see a lot of bend in his in his knees at all. Um, and he he has this really bad propensity to get wide with his hands, you know, and really just kind of doesn't have that that the timing with his punch right now to take away the outside edge track where, you know, it's just he's he's late or he's whiffing with his punch and that's concerning. And then you just don't really ever see him his, you know, leveraging his hips and really trying to uncoil and move body. So uh, Brian O'Neill, I'm not sure that he's he's quite the premier prospect that some some people are billing him up to be. I think there's some some skills to work with there, but I'm not like in love with him by any means. So uh, good day for Oklahoma State. Another receiver, Jalen McCleskey, had a big game. Kadri Henderson, he he's a Pittsburgh uh, wide receiver. He had a 74 yard play where he looked explosive. But uh, this game was all Oklahoma State, and, and they really took advantage of a lot of space in that Pittsburgh defense. You know, I want to circle back to both O'Neal and, and James Washington. I'm glad you brought brought up um, just the fact that some people who are really high on O'Neal, this is a player that I probably would have gravitated more towards two or three years ago. I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, Joe. Yeah, I do. Um, those movement long light on their feet style pass blockers are guys that uh, traditionally I had really found myself trending towards and coveting. And, and O'Neal's one of those guys where you, know, you noted in your report from the game, uh, the balance is good. No, the, the movement skills are easy for him. It's the other things. It's the lack of functional strength. And I'm doing some self scouting as of late. And I'm looking at guys like, uh, at the wide receiver position, and, and James Washington, for example, uh, guys that I were high on were uh, Nelson Aguilar was a guy I had as a top 25 player on my draft board from that year, and and Rashard Higgins, who just blew up uh, yesterday for the Cleveland Browns, seven catches for 95 yards. I just did a retrospect uh, of his report for NETScouting.com, but he his totals from this game exceeded his entire rookie season where he had six catches for 70-something yards, and now he goes off in week two after getting cut and put on the practice squad for a week, uh, seven for 95. And what was missing for both of those guys that really kind of handcuffed them and put them in a disadvantage early was functional play strengths. So we're looking at an offensive tackle in O'Neal who has really likable traits as a pass protector, uh, but he's not. it does not appear, at least to me and what I've seen, that he has the necessary functional play strength to be a true asset at that position. And then I look at guys that I've been high on at another position, the wide receiver position, with guys like Aguilar and Higgins, and both of those guys, functional play strength was not something that has manifested itself into being a quality that they can rely upon at the NFL level. And I think it's interesting uh, just to finish the point on Higgins and then transition to where this applies to Washington is Higgins was very successful 
yesterday running his routes from the slot where you're afforded the opportunity to get off uh, the line of scrimmage without being contested with a greater level of frequency. Uh, Eagles went out and traded Jordan Matthews to move Nelson Aguilar permanently into the slot as the full-time guys had touchdowns in the first two weeks of the season. Um, so I hear some people say, you know, Joe, I don't know how James Washington's play style is going to translate to the NFL level because he's he's six foot or six one, but he plays super aggressive like he's six foot four, and you get him at the NFL level with guys that are more dynamic in, in the secondary, and they're going to be able to pin him down. James Washington plays with play strength. That is one of the best traits about him. So that's not necessarily something that I'm overly concerned with. Yes, I do think he's going to have a transition where suddenly I'm not running with five yards of separation on all my route stems where I'm working down the field. But he has really excellent skills as a contested catch player, not just because of his ability to run vertical and get vertical, but but because of his ability to track the football and play off of contact in the air while tracking the football and adjusting to the ball. So if you hear people kind of speculate on James Washington, yes, there are things that he's going to have to adjust to mentally, but from a physical perspective, I think Washington is a really solid player projecting to the next level because he has that play strength That's something that I personally have found myself kind of taking for granted in the past couple years. So now I'm trying to stay self-aware of that and self-scout myself and say, okay, if these guys didn't perform to my expectations, what were they missing? Washington has one of those missing pieces in his functional play strength. Yeah, uh, interesting points there. And and yeah, you just can tell when James Washington attacks the football and he doesn't get pushed off his spot and the way that he is able to box out defensive backs when necessary. Yeah, it's definitely a good point there, mentioning his play strength is on point. And I guess one final note here on this game to just kind of tie a ribbon on it is uh, Max Brown, quarterback. He was benched uh, early in the second quarter, and uh, the offense moved better with the other quarterback. So, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to see a, a Nate Peterman resurgence here from from this uh, transfer, uh, Max Brown coming in from USC. So uh, he's he can – He's got an arm, but he can he can push the ball. I just don't know that he can push it accurately or uh, you know uh, make great decisions. There were some times where he threw the football where I really didn't think there was an identifiable target. So uh, not sure that we're going to see a whole lot of, of appeal with Max Brown moving forward. Let's pour one out for Mr. Max pour. Brown, <laughs> formerly of USC Trojans, which beautifully sets up our segue to talk about a brief segment on this USC Texas game. Um, Could we get these guys to play every week? Yeah, that'd be fun. (laughs) Just like uh, the next game we're going to talk about, if we could get those guys to play every week too. (laughs) Uh, Just a quick thought on uh, Darnold's performance in this game. I want to keep this one short because I didn't get a chance to watch the whole game, but I did catch the, the end of the game. And, with what I scouted with Darnold and what I was noting as his his best traits uh, over the course of the summer, watching his 10 starts from 2016, what stood out to me was situational maturity. And I want to bring this conversation piece back around because I think this is as good of a chance as you're going to get to see a perfect embodiment of what I really pounded the table as something that's going to make Darnold be a potentially special player. That is this situational maturity. Texas takes the lead with less than a minute left in the game. Darnold rallies the troops, takes them down to kick the game-tying field goal in under a minute left to play, and then has two 20-plus yard strikes in the double overtime periods that are just tremendous throws. They are on the money, he's throwing into space, he's hitting his guys in stride, one was a catch, the other one the receiver failed to maintain possession through the ground, but it was just an excellent illustration of there doesn't seem like there's any moment for him, any clutch moment that is too big. You know, the Rose Bowl, obviously. The huge comeback where they were unstoppable early in the game. Penn State ripped off a bunch of points. Darnold brings them back, and, and they win in thrilling fashion. This is another game where 
You know, Darnold, in spite of this was his 13th career start yeah, against Texas. This is one year of, of starting as a college football player now. Um, such such great two-minute drill control to get the team in position to kick the field goal. And then the execution and the accuracy and the killer instinct in overtime to push the ball down the field in those situations, it'd be very easy to go for five yards, just get ahead of the chains. He's looking early on in possessions to push the ball and go for the kill. So those things really stood out to me. It was just kind of a refresher on, yeah, this is why I like this kid so much, because he he has that mental capacity and maturity about him that that's pretty rare for a guy with 13 starts now. Drop three names real quick here from this contest that I thought stood out. Uh, obviously, Deontay Burnett, again, making yeah. big plays. Yeah. Eight for 123 and two touchdowns. Uh, I just like him. I, you know, he, he doesn't check the size box, but that dude, the way he attacks the football, the way he runs, the way he competes is, is very appealing. Uh, on USC defense, how about Porter Gustin, man, coming up with two sacks, He's got this toe injury, right? <laughs> and uh, something's wrong with his shoulder as well. But this guy, he's like a rugged dude, man. And, and the way that he he just attacks off the edge is ferocious, man. I, I, he's got that like Pittsburgh Steeler type of uh, mentality about him. I, there, there's just something there that's really appealing, the way that he competes. And then uh, Malik Jefferson. Yeah, I thought this is maybe the best game I've seen from him. Uh, 11 tackles, had a couple for loss. And you know, one thing that USC really didn't have in that game is a running game. Yeah, 37 rushes for 71 yards, and a big part of that was Malik Jefferson playing really sound football, attacking windows and closing. So uh, I thought those three guys were standouts as well. Yeah, uh, Gustin's not a guy that I think is going to appeal to everybody because people, especially in in our neck of the woods with football media and, and draft coverage, they like the Harold Landry's of the world mm-hmm. and the Arden Keys of the world, the long, lean, freakish Ben guys. Uh, this guy's more of a straight-ahead powerhouse. Uh, mm-hmm. But f- from a physical perspective, he'll beat the tar out of you. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's really strong with his hands, and I love his work in the run game. I think he's super effective setting the edge and stepping down and, and sealing uh, to force cuts back into team pursuit. Um, so yeah, Gustin's a guy, he's not going to be very highly regarded from what I've seen at this point because he doesn't check all the boxes. But if you're looking at edge defenders, uh, he does bring something, uh, to the table that's going to have a strong value, uh, just not on every down and distance. Yeah. And you know, I think there's this, there's, we look for traits a lot of times, and, and look, it's important, trait-based scouting, that's the foundation of what we do. But there's like there's a certain time where you watch a guy, and you think to yourself, if you were a GM, you just want to find a way to get that guy. Right. And, and, and I think Porter Gustin kind of makes you think that way a little bit. I'm curious to you know focus in on him more as the season goes along, 6'5", 255, and, and he's just – just kind of an animal off the edge and, and whether that means he's bendy or powerful or whatever it dude just gets into the backfield and, and and the way that he attacks blocks man he's ferocious and, and i can i can live with that so joe one of the other games that we teased here that we would love to get these guys to play every week yeah. is, is the uh, tennessee florida um rivalry game which i think this is what four straight years now where this game has just ended uh, with bananas, insanity, bananas. Yeah, uh, I turned this game on. <laughs> I think with I just gotten back from the stadium, uh, the Liberty Bowl, and I think there were like seven minutes left or something like that. I I turned the game on the television at my hotel room, and within five minutes there were two offensive touchdowns in a game that hadn't had any for the first 53 minutes of the game. So, so just, uh, I'd like to feel like I caught this game <laughs> at the right time, Joe. You did. You, you certainly did. I watched this thing from start to finish. And, um, first of all, I don't think I want to get too much into the Tennessee side. I took a beating on Twitter. My God, man, Rocky top was nasty to your boy. Uh, for, I, I just made a simple suggestion that I said, look, the Derek Dooley, era it wasn't that long ago 
Butch Jones has been nine and four the last two seasons. You've won 17 of your last 23, three straight bowl games. He's recruiting well. Maybe you don't just sit there and call for his head. Because uh, the point that I was trying to make is the savior's not coming. There's Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, yeah, Dabo Swinney. Those, those guys aren't coming. No, those guys you, aren't who coming, Who are you going to hire away to come to Tennessee right now? Lord. Well, it, it, Tennessee Vols fans have this expectation that they're supposed to win the SEC East every single year. And that's asinine because even, you know, look, this is kind of your point. I'm going to throw you under the bus here. <laughs> even you may, maybe, maybe not, but you're the one that in the DM said, look, imagine being mediocre for 20 years and having an expectation that you're supposed to win the SEC. And that's just like, I, I as a Buffalo Bills fan, we Bills haven't made the playoffs in 17 years. That's like me having this weird expectation that the, the, the Buffalo Bills are supposed to make the playoffs this season. And so Tennessee, man, these guys were these guys were brutal. Rocky Top was brutal to me. But anyways, let's talk about this game uh, from from a scouting perspective. I think there's two players that I want to mention. One from each team. Uh, first, my guy John Kelly, man. Oh yeah, this dude. This dude's a dude, man. Stock dude. up, man. 141 yards on the ground on 19 carries, a touchdown, six catches, 96 yards. Oh, man, this guy's just – he just is the Tennessee Vols offense. Anything that good good that comes out of this offense comes through him. And, and, you know, I've talked about him at length here a couple of different times on this show, but it's just really great to see him really blossom into this workhorse and, and be able to be this catalyst for this offense and really like what I'm seeing from him in the receiving game this year. He caught five passes against Georgia Tech. He's six for 96 against uh, Florida here in this game PFF credit him with 15 uh, forced missed tackles I mean this dude's just he, he's just not interested in getting tackled man and he runs hard he's got a good stiff arm he's got a ton of balance his balance is is just tremendous uh, you know the knock on him is that he doesn't have breakaway speed but man <laughs> the way that he makes people miss and, and plows through defenders and runs with great balance man you just he's got a future in the NFL uh, the other guy I want to mention on the Florida side of things, this is a guy that, that really popped for me as a defensive end edge rusher, Jabari Zaninga. Uh, he's a redshirt sophomore. Last season he had eight and a half tackles for loss, led the team in sacks with five and had 11 quarterback hurries. And really like the way that he comes off the edge. There's some quickness about him. He's got some, some juice, some burst. He seems to be able to run that edge, that arc, and it shows some good flexibility to turn the corner and, you know, and I think about this Florida defense, and, and a lot of their guys are more power-based rushers. This guy's got that burst and flexibility that that you know people really like. So, uh, a guy that I think is emerging um, had a couple of hurries in this game, had a half a sack, another tackle for loss. You know, I think uh, keep an eye on this guy because I think he's a budding star from what I saw in terms of his ability to get around the corner. Yeah, uh, hat tip to Alvin Kamara for tipping us off on, on John oh, Kelly yeah. on the draft dudes. Yeah. Um, you know, that was the first name he mentioned when we said, you know, who are we going to be talking about this time next year for Tennessee? And he's he's quick, too. Like, for as physical of a runner as he is, like that stiff arm that he put on towards the end of the game was nasty. The ability to, to pull off of – uh, defender wrapped around his leg down low on one of those chunk runs that he had and just kind of just yank his leg out of there and, and get back up to top speed. There's a lot of versatility here that um, I hope Tennessee uh, continues to feed him the football. Now, because as you mentioned, Joe, this is really Tennessee's catalyst for their entire offense. I know Ethan Wolf had a nice touchdown catch uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, a tight end that has some pro traits, something that you outlined over at NDTScouting.com this summer. But uh, that he he brings so much to the table out of the backfield and, and being a receiver and running with physicality. He can run inside, outside. Uh, I like what I have seen from, from John Kelly a whole lot. I think he had another great performance. I think this is somebody that's – really going to drive his stock up because you know people love to talk about with running backs oh the tread on the tires <laughs> well the tread on the tires here with John Kelly's quite low so yeah. uh i think that's going to be an appealing quality of his 
in addition to the on-the-field resume that he's been able to put together so far this year if he continues that level of play. Yeah, man. Uh, here's that Here's that uh, Kamara quote. Producer just pulled it for me. He uh, Alvin Kamara said this on the Draft Dudes podcast. He said, John's crazy. He works hard. He takes coaching well. He understands the game, and he wants to run through somebody's face every time he gets the ball. He's exactly. resilient, and I expect him to have a big year. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yep, that's, that's quite accurate to this point. Yes. So, uh, like I said, hat tip to um, hat tip to Alvin. I'd also like to give a hat tip to the Memphis Tigers, Joe. Yes. I had the opportunity to go down, as I said at the top of the show, to the Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium in Memphis, Tennessee. And actually, you know, while I'm talking about this, I, w- I want to give a hat tip to the Uber drivers in Memphis. They're the nicest, easiest to talk to people uh, of any of the trips that I've done with, with my football work over the course of the past several years. Uh, so was pleasantly surprised that you know, Memphis is a city that, that some people you talk to say, oh, there's bad parts of Memphis, you know, don't, don't wander around downtown. Everywhere that I was at, and I'm sure I didn't get to see the bad parts, but everywhere that I was at, I had a wonderful experience in Memphis. Would highly recommend uh, if you guys have a chance, take a trip. It's got some, some good rock and roll vibes. Nice little downtown section. Uh, the Liberty Bowl, as I said, is terrific. Um, I guess we got to start with, with the Memphis side of this thing since uh, they did pull out the 48-45 to victory in a, a game that had over 1,200 yards of offense and had gone over the games over under uh, about midway through the third quarter. Uh, this was... A really fun game. I thought the best players on the field for Memphis were wide receiver Anthony Miller and uh, Riley Ferguson, the quarterback, a redshirt senior. Uh, Ferguson is a transfer, and uh, he's a gamer. Uh, he's not necessarily – you can tell from an arm talent perspective, he's not like a blue-chip caliber player, but he's tough. He throws well on the move. He does not play scared. And I thought he got more and more bold throughout the game, testing tight windows in the middle of the field and hitting redshirt sophomore tight end Joey Magnifico, um, who was another standout in the game. And what a terrific last name for a football player, Magnifico. Uh, He (laughs) finished with six catches for 83 yards and a touchdown. Um, the more, the later the game went, I thought the more comfortable uh, Ferguson became testing the middle of the field, and he, he hit some some really tight throws. Uh, there were some that were contested, but it felt like the first half Memphis kind of brought approached it with kid gloves. A lot of screen passes. Ferguson got some hollow yards and some hollow touchdowns, two screen passes that went for uh, 99 yards between the two of them for two touchdowns in the first half. Started to push the ball uh, more and more, and a lot of that catalyst came from uh, Anthony Miller, uh, the wide receiver. I saw somebody on, on Twitter had said, if you like Taewon Taylor, you're probably going to like Anthony Miller. And, and I can see why that comment would be made. He's more quick than purely fast, uh, but he's just got a great head for working the football. He's got a great understanding of finding space, working with timing. He plays through his route breaks very effectively. Um, I really like that. I, I really liked just the overall approach that he brought, uh, getting looks in the screen game, getting looks up the field, running from the slot, uh, had a corner route from the slot that, that really stood out as one. He's got a safety lined up ten, 8 to 10 yards off the ball on him and the ability to you know, get up to high speed and step on his toes and, and give the subtle head fake inside before you break towards the pylon. It was a touchdown pass. So uh, Anthony Miller, wide receiver, uh, I thought was the best player for Memphis, but you shouldn't sleep on Riley Ferguson um, either. And and I don't necessarily think this is coincidence, but it seemed like uh, Memphis's passing game changed when UCLA lost freshman defensive end Jalen Phillips. Uh, UCLA does not have a lot to look at defensively, uh, but Phillips, number 15, who played 
a very strong first half as a true freshman, that's a name that we're going to have to put a star next to and come back to. He's got a lot of those traits that we talked about as things that, that people in the draft media and in football uh, analysis world really like in a pass rusher. And as a true freshman, he's only going to get better and better. So um, really liked what I saw from him. It was unfortunate. He went out about, I think it was early in the third quarter with some kind of lower body injury, got rolled up from behind. Um, I haven't seen any update on his health status, but hopefully uh, that injury, which he was not able to put any weight on when he came off the field, is one that passes over quickly and we get a chance to see him back on the field again soon. Joe? Any, is it time? Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say. Would you, would you like to tell the your the story of what your reaction was when I gave you the Josh Rosen comp that hit me in the first half of this game? <laughs> well, uh, it's uh, I guess it's, it's kind of a simple story, and uh, you you I mean we we pretty much DM, I guess probably all day every day, and uh, so a typical DM. Hey, I've got a Josh Rosen comp, right? All right, cool. All right. I just simply replied with, I'm ready. And then you dropped the bomb and you said, uncle Dan, Dan Marino was your, was your, you said you saw some parallels between Josh Rosen and Dan Marino. And, uh, that my response was, I wasn't ready for that. And, and that's strong. And, um, you know, I, I know the regard that you hold for, for Dan Marino as a, an all time great in the NFL. And, um, you know, I expected you to say – I didn't expect you to say Eli Manning or Jay Cutler because that would be way too cliche and that's just not you at all. Uh, so I was very curious. I, I knew it was going to be something good, but Dan Marino felt like uh, like quite the swing. And I'm not here to say I disagree with it, but uh, it caught me caught me for a surprise and I'm anxious to hear – for the first time, really, your uh, your uh, your explanation on this. Oh, now that you've had 24 hours to process it, have you given it any thought? Uh, yeah, well, um, you know, it's interesting because it didn't seem like when you made that comparison that you were even thinking about the fake spike uh, against no, Texas I, 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 I realized about a quarter and a half later, I hit you again in the message. I said, Oh my yeah. God, he hit a fake spike against Texas A&M yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you've kind of summarized it to me with some of the personality stuff, not necessarily the same personality, but having kind of a, a, a personality that people talk about and kind of the way he, he spins the ball and, and plays the game, you know, uh, you know, I'm not ready to sit here and say that I agree or disagree, but, right. um, I know that any opinion you have is going to be well thought out and you'd be ready to defend it. So, uh, floor is yours, sir. Yeah, I, I mean, I just want to get this out of the way right now. I'm not comparing delivery time or necessarily arm strength. But if you look at the pathway that Dan Marino had going from being a college player to a professional player and the style in which he played, versus what we see with Josh Rosen, I think there are some interesting parallels here between the two. Uh, Both of these guys uh, were hyper-criticized throughout the build-up to the the NFL draft um, in their college careers for red, quote-unquote, red flags that are kind of vague and nonspecific. For example, that their quote-unquote passion for the game was brought into questions because they both have this perception of being party animals. Um, if you listen to both of these guys talk, you know, Marino is more of a historical retrospect and Rosen now, they're both very confident individuals. You know, the way Rosen carries himself, I think it rubs people the wrong way because he's like, he has this alpha mentality. Like he's very outspoken. He's very confident in what he's talking about. And, um, you got a lot of this same stuff. You know, we had the football life from Dan Marino and you get like the clips where Marino's mic'd up on the sideline and the way he talks to his teammates. And it, they, they have this overwhelming sense of confidence that I think can rub people the wrong way sometimes. And I know some decision makers are going to listen to or read a Josh Rosen interview with Bleacher Report 
Um, and they're going to get turned off by him saying, you know, I want to get my MBA. I don't want to just get my socialism degree at UCLA and re- and graduate in three years. I want to get my MBA because when my football career is over, I want to quote unquote own the world. You know, he's, uh, he's very confident and just matter of fact and, and almost outspoken in which he speaks his mind. And I know some decision makers want a guy that's going to keep his mouth shut and play football. And Dan maybe didn't necessarily have that same aspiration for himself after football. And he didn't necessarily speak up in terms of the status of college football. But, you know, Dan was very brazen with, I can make any throw. I have the best arm of anybody in the world. And and guys like this, I would put Rosen in a, a tier of kind of quote-unquote blue chip talents as far as his physical abilities and his ability to make any throw. And guys like this, sometimes they know that they know they have the ability to make any throw and they live by the sword and they die by the sword. And I want to draw a, a couple quotes from each of these guys. Um, you know, Rosen immediately after the Memphis game, he had a pick six laid across the middle was returned uh, for a touchdown. And then, and uh, one of the last throws he had in the game, he was rolling to his right, kind of threw as he was getting hit into tight man-to-man coverage, working back to the line of scrimmage. Receiver gets called for offensive pass interference, and it kills the drive. They lose the game. Rosen says, I made some stupid mistakes just trying to play hero ball. It's not needed. you got to play within the system. Now, it's an acknowledgement of that was dumb. I probably shouldn't have done that. But these guys that know that they can attack and try to make any throw on the field Inevitably, when they're in the zone and they're vibing, they're going to try to make those plays. And I, I look back to Dan Marino. This was a piece in an interview for, with People Magazine in December 1983. Uh, he says to David Chandler, you have to think you can do it, make the throw at any time. But you have to realize that it's not going to work all the time. So I think as a really gifted passer a guy that has the arm ability to, for example, UCLA's on the one-yard line, they're losing on the road against Memphis, Rosen drops back from center, and he surveys the field with flat feet in like a yard away from a safety, standing in the back of his own end zone, and he throws a perfect corner route to his tight end, tight man coverage, drops it right over his shoulder. Like those kinds of throws very few guys can make. And Rosen, for as bad as some of the decisions that he made was, every single time he came back and he stood in the pocket and he challenged the defense. And that's the big on-the-field trait that I think has a parallel to what Marino was so good at, where Dan, he wanted to throw the ball on every single freaking play. And he would push the ball down the field. This was not one of those guys that gets the snap quick and shoots it down to the flat. It's not the way he plays the game. It's not the way Rosen plays the game. He's a traditional drop-back guy. He likes to challenge coverage. He likes to push the ball. He's got good height. Uh, he can see over the line of scrimmage. You know, Dan coming out of college was listed at 6'3", 215. Rosen's currently listed at 6'3", 215. So there's some physical stature things here as well. Both of them have a very high release point. I made a point to say I'm not going to compare Dan to Rosen as far as the quickness of his delivery. Uh, Marino's quickness with his his delivery was legendary. It's part of what made him so good. That's how he was able to avoid a lot of sacks and a lot of hits. Um, But Rosen, you look at his throwing delivery, the ball never goes down. I believe it was the Dan Marino football life. Somebody asked Dan, who taught you how to throw the football? He said his dad did. And he said he taught him the ball goes up and then out. And Rosen has that same pathway with his football. There's no drop in the ball. I know everybody's seen the picture of Blake Bortles with his quote-unquote revamped throwing mechanics, and the ball's down on his hip. And his elbow's up over top of the ball before he works his arm back around. He's got this big hook in his motion. Rosen carries the ball high, the ball comes up, and the ball comes out. And I think... Just there, there's some subtle technicality things is how they pass, where their release points at, but it's the aggression, the the desire to challenge the defense with how he throws 
every single play, the confidence and aura of confidence that he has in doing it, and some of the personality things, that, that that's where I see some parallels here. And then you add on, you know, Dan Marino was accused of, of being a cokehead at Pitt, and he took all these drug tests and never failed a drug test in his life. No, Josh Rosen's getting called an entitled a-hole by Greg Gabriel on Twitter for what? Because he put a hot tub in his in his dormitory? Like, there, there's, there's, I've had no tangible background on Josh Rosen to say, oh, this guy's an, uh, an entitled a-hole, but that's the kind of verbiage that's getting thrown around with this guy, and I just, I have no idea why. It just seems like all the red flags, just like they were with Marina, were very vague and, and not well-sourced. You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a concert in the park, and we want our style to be the main attraction. Rock over to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now get up to 50% off jeans from 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Up to 50% off jeans for the family? That's music to my ears. Plus, now you can get in and out of the store in a flash with buy online, pick up in store. It's fun, fast, and free. Styles that take center stage and free pick up in store when I buy online? Old Navy, here we come. High Fashion, Old Navy. About 720 to 729, select styles only. Right now, join T-Mobile and get an unlimited family plan with Netflix included so you can watch in more places than ever before on your phone, tablet, or TV. Plus, buy one Samsung Galaxy S9 and get one free with 24 monthly bill credits so you and your family can binge your Netflix favorites on your new phones. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. Unlimited data on their network. Video streams at 480p. Small fraction of customers using over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds. If you cancel balances due, well-qualified customers, full price, 720 plus tax. Finance agreements required. Netflix for two screens. Terms apply. Kyle, there's one thing I want to unpack here that you, you said, and, I, and that was a, a really great uh, delivery there of, of that explanation. I, I enjoyed listening to that. Um, one thing you said was about challenging coverages. And challenging the coverages with with any throw and really in any situation, believing you can make throws. And uh, what I want to hear you unpack here is how, how you, when you celebrate that, and when you when you are like, no, that's not good. Because uh, let's be honest, I was at a football game today. I was at the Bills Panthers game, the nine to three offensive juggernaut game, where I would was, would have loved to see Tyrod Taylor. You know, just try to find one-on-one coverage and find some space and throw the football. Uh, but he wouldn't do it. But then you see, you know, I don't want to go to this, to the complete opposite of that, where maybe a Josh Allen or maybe even a worse example of that, like a Chad Kelly, you know, where do you, where do you find, where do you draw the line between thinking that's a good thing, understanding how much of an impact that can make, but you know, at the same time, guys being too much with it. And, you know, they're just, they're just, too erratic with it. So can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. So I, I'm not necessarily talking about throwing into coverage as much as I am. You're executing your reads, but you're not content to take the short, easy throw. You, you are not afraid of throwing into tight spaces. You're not afraid to understand, okay, I've got a defender right on my guy's hip, but if I throw the back shoulder or if I throw to the opposite hip and allow my receiver to turn and make the adjustment, which is one of Rosen's touchdown throws was an example of that, where the receiver has outside leverage and is trying to work up the field and there is a marginal window to the boundary that Rosen puts the football and the receiver has to flip his shoulders and come back the other way and make the catch. And he does. Uh, or if you're, you're attacking oh, cover two and you've got a, a corner that's squatting in the flat and you understand that he's going to bail eventually on that throw and try and challenge that. But you put the velocity on that throw to get into that window even if it's a small window, you understand that that corner may be a guy that likes to gamble or will drop off and buzz off if he's got a guy that's pressing a stem in his peripheral vision behind him. Um, the, the, the corner route to the tight end where he's in first and 10 on his own one-yard line, it's very loud, and, and he's standing directly underneath his own goalpost surveying the field, and he doesn't take 
a shallow cross. He doesn't take a flat route and just try and pick up five yards. It's when he says, okay, I'm looking for the safety to roll away from the corner route. I know I've got man-to-man coverage. The the linebacker or whoever's going to cover him is going to be aligned this way, so I'm looking for my receiver to win across his face and get his head and shoulder free to the boundary, and if he does, I'm going to put it over his outside shoulder. And those kinds of just just really surgical, like Rosen in this game, he made probably four or five bad throws, but every time he made a bad throw, there were two possessions where he just dissected Memphis. And it's that looking for chunk gains and looking to throw intermediate and to the far sideline and down the field. That's what I really like and what I'm I'm saying when I say attacking coverage. Because for some throws, good coverage will not stop a completed pass. If you put your yeah. execution and your timing is perfect, and that's the kind of thing that I do see from Rosen and that he's operating on that level as far as how he views the game. And I think that's a really important thing. Like even... Uh, they were in a position to kick a field goal and tie the game, and, and Rosen throws an interception down inside the red zone. The receiver ran the wrong route. You know, he's He got killed for that interception. It was third down. Said, just don't do anything stupid. And they've got a free runner on kind of a, it was like a weird snap. Uh, the running back thought the play was dead, never even got out of his stance. And he's got a, Rosen's got a free rusher bearing down on him, and Rosen throws the ball. He throws a perfect place ball where if the receiver gets up to the defensive back who's sitting and squatting and he breaks inside, as soon as his head's around, that ball's going to be there. And it's going to be a first down. It's going to be they're going to be on the three-yard line to position to score a touchdown and, and take the lead. But he throws the ball before the receiver's out of into his break. Receiver keeps going, carrying vertically into the end zone. Looked like it was some kind of sight adjustment. Rosen through the stop. Corner sitting there and he's squatting on the route. And the ball hits him right in the chest. Like, it, it's those kinds of things operating on that advanced level thinking and not just being a point-and-shoot style passer. That's, that's what stands out and makes me say Rosen will challenge coverages, and that's why I think that's a good thing. I want to take advantage of your, you know, your firsthand look at Rosen and, and kind of this discussion and, and ask you one more question here. I know we've, we've given a lot of time to this topic, but I think it's a worthy one. Um, and, and if nothing comes to mind, that's fine. But I wanted to see kind of after getting some, spend some time around the program uh, this weekend and, and, and probably, you know, I, I know the work that you've put into studying Rosen throughout the summer and so far this season. Is there a team uh, in terms of, what they like to do on offense, coordinator, supporting cast, kind of get rid of the, the need. Like, I don't care what team you say. Like, it doesn't have to be a team that's projected to pick high in the first round. But is there somewhere that when you think about the offensive coordinator, the style of offense, the, the cast around him that you, you, you get really excited about for pegging Josh Rosen to? I mean, you know, if I'm just strictly going off a of play caller, uh, Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, I, I really love that fit. Uh, I think there's Shanahan's kind of a chameleon, and I, I mean that in a good way, kind of like what Adam Gase is for the Dolphins, where uh, he's not married to these are my plays. You've got to be able to run these plays, and if you you suck at them, then we're gonna suck. Like <laughs> he um <laughs> he he's much more flexible. So I think there's a number of different quarterbacks. Like I think Lamar Jackson would be great with with Kyle Shanahan as well. And he's a very different style passer than Josh Rosen. But um, I just look at Rosen's traits versus some of the other quarterbacks that Shanahan's had the opportunity to work with. And I think that kind of approach, and Shanahan is a very cerebral style play caller and mismatch, and you know, it, it, it's very advanced stuff. And, and I think... A situation like that where you can get a marriage like that, I would really appreciate. Now, with that said, um, if that were to come to pass, Rosen's experience this year at UCLA will be great practice because none of those receivers, with the exception of maybe uh, Darren Andrews, can create any lick of separation, which he would be experiencing at the next (laughs) level if he went to the San Francisco 49ers next year because that... uh, 
that offensive skill group needs is in drastic need of an overhaul. Um, but again, that's where I think Rosen gets away with some things because of the level that he thinks and attacks the game with that a lesser quarterback would grossly struggle with because there's not wide open guys. He's not throwing to guys like Mason Rudolph does where they're going empty set or they're going double twins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's got guys that don't have anybody within five yards. And like everybody's in, in, in tight windows. Nobody's just, unless it's a busted coverage, like nobody is just scorching defensive backs on this UCLA offense. So I think it's good practice, but it's going to also cultivate some growing pains in the process. Well, uh, Terrific stuff, man. Uh, really uh, good insight here. I hope that uh, the listeners, you know, appreciate. You know, I know we went long on that, but uh, there was a lot to unpack. And, and um, do you feel better about the Dan comp? Yeah, I mean, you certainly. I mean, that was comprehensive, man. You really hit that from just about every angle imaginable. And uh, I guess whenever you know, my knee jerk to that was okay, legendary release, ridiculous arm, right? Right. And so. You know, you you were able to kind of to make that pitch without those two pieces, and it made a lot of sense. Particularly, what you I think where you kind of won me more than anything. A lot of the stuff just made sense, but made sense. But where where I think you probably won me the most was when you further elaborated on what it meant to challenge coverage and thinking about the way Dan Marino played the game and thinking about what Josh Rosen's doing and, and what ultimately led to that Texas A&M comeback, yeah. what led to some of those bounce back. You know, one of the things that I DM'd you during the game was I love that Memphis is keeping pace here and forcing Josh Rosen to be back in these situations. And it's, it's incredible to see him, his being resilient, even though some of those mistakes were on him and some things didn't go his way, but to be able to hang in there and continue to, be aggressive and try to help his team win a football game and, and understanding that contrast from a boneheaded player like Jack, Chad Kelly. Right. And I hate to even mention these guys in the same sentence, but um, under, you know, kind of understanding those differences and, and really, really what it means to challenge defenses and playing aggressive, man. So, so many times we watch these quarterbacks and they need to see things open and they, you know, they want to make sure that, that uh, you know they're not going to throw interception and being really careful with the football and sometimes that's good right sometimes there's a time and place for that but in a game like like those two games right the Texas A&M game, Texas A&M game Memphis game where that wasn't the case it was time to to, to let it let it rip man yeah let it spin and, and he did it and um, live by the I sword really die by the sword. That. Yeah, yep. and it's okay sometimes. Look at like uh, Andrew Luck in his rookie year, and, and what's made him great. And unfortunately, he's injured right now. But you know, kind of that same mentality. It's like, man, I I got to put it to a spot. I got to trust that my receiver is going to go and make an adjustment and, and and get to the football. And and that's how that's how you get a high you know uh, an, an efficient offense that can make plays. You got to make plays, man. And uh, I, I I think that's where you want me is that that whole challenging the defense and situationally understanding when it's when it's right to believe you can make any throw right on i'm glad i I talked you off the ledge of disowning me with a dan marino (laughs) josh rosen come so that's good i'm glad so joe do we do we want to talk about any other quarterback prospects or do we want to leave that for maybe wednesday since we've I've hijacked the last 20 minutes of this show no, not, not that I want to dodge any bullets here but uh you know I I feel like we've really you've really yeah, let's let's let it simmer let's let it yeah, we're, we're gonna talk about another quarterback prospect on Wednesday um I'm sure we're gonna bring some more to the table we almost always do even if it's fidget spinner talk or <laughs> or um jumpers rompers or, or, or any any of the above. You know, Let you, me say one thing. One thing here, guys. Is it about rompers? It's not about rompers. Okay. Because I, I'm disappointed I haven't. Well, I'm happy that I haven't seen you in a romper yet. But uh, um, Kyle and I understand that we've talked a lot about quarterbacks so far early in the season on this show. And it's been a very relevant part of this early season draft storylines. But we are committed to bringing you the full scope of of this class. So stick with us. We are going to get to all the players 
uh, just right now, this is very heavy stuff. And, and obviously with, with Kyle coming off of this trip to, to see Rosen, you know, I want to give it its time here. So stick with us guys. We're not just going to be a quarterback podcast for the next six months. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll have marginal quarterback dedicated segments. But as Joe said, we will. I think the only thing we won't hit is long snappers, kickers, and punters. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. You can be assured we're not doing that. And so, so you can hit that subscribe button now, knowing full well you're not going to get any kicker or punter talk on this podcast. So we kindly ask that you please do, if you enjoyed today's show, uh, hit that subscribe button, follow along with us throughout the course of the 2017 college football season and 2018 uh, NFL draft cycle and beyond. You know, we've we've gone over a year with our podcasting careers together at this point. Can't imagine why there wouldn't be a year three. Also, make sure you leave us a review on the show if you have any feedback, if you have any players that you'd like us to talk about that aren't quarterbacks specifically. Uh, you can reach us on social media. Joe is at the Joe Marino. I am at NDT Scouting. You can reach us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NDT Scouting. Of course, you can always swing over to FanRag Sports and NDTScouting.com and uh, check out our most recent works. As I said, uh, some point throughout the, the lead of the show, I did a retrospect on Richard Higgins where I posted his 2016 NFL draft report and looked at what his strengths and weaknesses were and how somebody like this who was cut and then on the practice squad and then suddenly a week later is back on the active roster is able to perform for seven catches for 95 yards. Um, kind of looking to add that context is always uh, one of the more fun parts of what we do. So uh, plenty of ways for you guys to get a hold of us, leave us uh, some feedback on the show itself, and uh, hopefully you will hear us again on Wednesday. Tune back in. I'm Kyle Krabs signing off with Joe Marino, and this is the Draft Dudes Podcast. You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a concert in the park, and we want our style to be the main attraction. Rock over to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now get up to 50% off jeans from 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Up to 50% off jeans for the family? That's music to my ears. Plus, now you can get in and out of the store in a flash with buy online, pick up in store. It's fun, fast, and free. Styles that take center stage and free pick up in store when I buy online? Old Navy, here we come. High Fashion, Old Navy. About 720 to 729, select styles only. Hey folks, Dirks Bentley here. If you've seen one of my concerts, you know I'm all about energy. Performing, recording, traveling, being a husband and a father, it's a busy life, and I need to be 100% every day. So when my battery starts running low, I grab a sugar-free, vitamin-packed, five-hour energy shot. It tastes great, and it gets me back to 100% fast. Try it. It could work for your busy life, too. For more information, visit 5hourenergy.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.